So let us remind ourselves what we always do here because we continue to believe that since the Bible is the Word of God and that everyone that believes in Jesus Christ is a child of God, let us say it together, the Bible is God's Word for us. Father, we continue to thank you and to acknowledge your presence here as you continue to work in our lives, transforming us to the image of your Son. We pray as we listen to your word that your Holy Spirit, who teaches us, who makes it understandable to us, may apply it to our lives, and that in doing so, we may respond obediently, so that through it, Lord, you may accomplish what you intend to accomplish this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Children, you are free to go. Paul has appealed to Caesar, and of course he will be going to Rome, to the highest court, to plead his case. His goal is to stand in that platform and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. But while in Caesarea, before Festus, the new governor, Agrippa, the king, comes to visit Festus, and Festus tells him about Paul, and Agrippa agrees to hear Paul. He offers to hear him. And therefore, Paul appears before Agrippa and other prominent personalities, including Agrippa's sister, Bernice, whom uh, there were rumors going on that they had an affair. King Agrippa is the last of the Herods to have troubles with Jesus or the followers of Christ. His great-grandfather is Herod the Great, who killed male children during the birth of Jesus Christ with the hope of killing Jesus. His granduncle is the one that beheaded John the Baptist. And his father is the one that executed James and imprisoned Peter, and he was eaten with worms for allowing people to worship him as God. And here he sits in his prominent chair to listen to Paul. Paul looks insignificant in the presence of these prominent people. And Paul sees this as an opportunity not to defend himself because he has no defense really. Because his accusers have failed to prove their case. And there are some things that when you are accused of, you cannot really defend yourself. 
Because these, uh, these are just sayings. They are saying he did this, he said this, he taught against the law. And so Paul continues here to use his own testimony as a defense, but also a proclamation of the gospel that he continues to preach that the Lord commanded him to preach. And his testimony, like any other testimony, has three parts. He begins to say, when he is allowed to speak, he says, it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. It is because of my hope that I am on trial today. And then he says in verse 9, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's the first part of his testimony. The first part of a testimony is usually your life without Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, that was my life. I was convinced that I needed to oppose anyone who followed Jesus Christ. I was in your place. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I did that. So he points them to his life before Christ. And that's the first part of your testimony. There are things here for us to learn. The first part of your testimony is the life that you lived before Christ. And then the next part of your testimony is your encounter with Christ, your encounter with Jesus Christ. And Paul says in verse 12, on one of these journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. Well, we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And by the way, Saul is Hebrew for Paul. There are people who use this as a change, a transformation that when Paul met Jesus, when Saul met Jesus, he became Paul. Now, Paul is the Greek version of Saul. His encounter with Christ on his way to Damascus, Jesus appeared, the resurrected Christ. That was his encounter. And listen to what he says. Jesus introduced himself to Paul. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. And he said to Paul, now get up, 
Stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. And then he said, I am sending you to them. And this is the most important part. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive what? Forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ. His encounter with Christ is also the moment that he was commissioned by Christ. And Christ tells him, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they can make a transfer. They can move from darkness to light. That tells us anyone that is without Christ is blind. His eyes are not open. And then anyone that is without Christ is in the darkness. It is only in Christ that we are moved to the light. And then he says, from Satan to God. That means anyone that is without Christ is under the power of Satan. Salvation moves you from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, from Satan's family to God's family. And the benefit that you get is the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. And just knowing this should be an encouragement to us because when we are sharing our faith, we are helping people to open their eyes because the enemy wants people to remain blinded. He wants them to remain in the dark. He wants them to remain under his power. And God wants to set his people free. And Paul says, this is what I was commissioned to do. And listen to what he says in verse 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to that vision from heaven. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. See, he smartly presents the gospel. He smartly presents his testimony. And then he he uses it as part of his defense. But in reality, he's saying, I have done nothing wrong. I've only been obedient to the voice of Christ. I have only obeyed what I was commanded by Jesus Christ. That's all I have done. 
And he continues to say, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message again of light to his own people, to the Gentiles. Why a message of light? Because they are in the darkness. His decision to share this testimony as his defense, Paul opens the door for others to receive the message of hope and the message of salvation. It's important for us to realize because we live in a culture that encourages people to follow their hearts. You probably have heard someone say, follow your heart. And the Bible says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Deceitful and desperately wicked. That means you cannot trust your own heart. It will mislead you. We have to realize, and Paul's message is the same here. There is no Jewish gospel and Gentile gospel. There is only one gospel. We don't have a black gospel and a white gospel. We have one gospel. We don't have any other gospel except one. We don't have a conservative gospel and a liberal gospel. We have one gospel, and it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the one we should proclaim. And that's why if we truly are in Christ, we will open a door for others because Christ opens a door for others. When he died there, he did not die for the Jews or for the Gentiles. He died for everyone. Your amen is not convincing. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> It is the message that calls people from the power of Satan to the power of God. And this is regardless of who you are, regardless of what you believe, regardless of where you come from. The gospel cuts through culture and race and all types of divisions because the gospel is calling people from the power of darkness to the power of God. When we proclaim it, that's what we are doing. We understand where you are because we have been there. For those of us that got saved while, you know, some of you who got saved while you were children, you may not know this. 
some of us got saved as adults. I came to Christ when I was 23. I had already experienced what it meant to live a life without Jesus Christ. When I look at this and hear what Paul is saying, I can understand what it means to be under the power of Satan. I was doing his deeds. I was pleasing him, thinking I was pleasing myself. I was living for him, thinking that I was living for myself. Until Christ came to my life, opened my eyes, and enabled me to see that I was under the power of darkness, and he was inviting me to his power where the light is. And today, as I look back, I can tell. And when we share the gospel, it's because we are concerned, because we know the enemy will want you to think that the life that you are living under him is the best life you can have, but it is the life that destroys you. He doesn't value you. But he will deceive you to think that you are benefiting by following your heart. And so Paul continues... And he talks of the prophets. This is the same thing the prophets talked about. It's the same Jesus the prophets talked about. And when he mentions that, Festus cannot hold himself. He interrupts and he says in verse 24, You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. Festus doesn't understand why Paul would choose a path that brings him problems. He doesn't understand that. And you know, we, we live in a culture that looks at Christians the same way Festus looks at Paul here. When he says you are out of your mind, Paul, Festus is presenting his self-centeredness because he has a distorted view of the gospel. It's the same thing that is happening in our culture today. They have a distorted view of the gospel. Those that do not accept the gospel have a distorted view of the gospel and a distorted view of those who believe in the gospel. Because they have created in themselves a God of their own imagination. A God who is confused. A God who cannot tell the difference between a man and a woman. A God that is misleading people, making them think that they can choose to be what they want to be. And in the end, is sending them to hell. And when they hear a Christian standing up with Jesus, proclaiming, the message that brings people to light, the message that sets people free, they will look at that Christian and say, you are out of your mind. 
And because of that, some Christians are afraid. Because of that, some Christians have been silenced. But the sad part is, we have Christians who behave the same way. Christians that are, are uncomfortable with other Christians who are passionate for their faith. Now this is where some of us will start praying. We have Christians who are uncomfortable with other Christians. They are uncomfortable when they see other Christians identifying with Jesus Christ. Christians who are not afraid to identify with Jesus Christ. They are uncomfortable with that. They would rather be silent and not be known. That is a sad story for the church. See, that's why when you have a prayer meeting, Christians don't show up as they should. When you have a meeting that calls for commitment, some Christians shy away. Because committing ourselves to Christ will make the world look at us and say we are out of our minds. And most Christians are tempted to want to be accepted by the world. The world that rejected Christ and all his followers will not accept you if you are a follower of Christ. You don't have to make yourself attractive to the world. It will not accept you. The world will only accept those who conform to its image. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, I am not in sin, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. And then he, he turns to the king. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of, his, of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. It's not a secret. And then he, he tells King Agrippa, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. You know why? Because if the king believes in the prophets, he will have to accept the gospel. So Paul has put him in a corner here. Because the prophets testified of Jesus Christ that Paul is proclaiming. King Agrippa is considered an authority in Jewish religion. And he actually had the power to appoint the high priest. So he has to believe in the prophets. 
And he's a smart guy because his response tells you it is a response that is politically correct. He says to Paul, Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? So he realizes that Paul, by asking him that question, whether he believes in the prophets, he is pointing him to Christ. You cannot claim to believe in the prophets and reject Jesus Christ. And Paul says, in a short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for the chains. And the king rose and with him the governor and Bernice, his sister, and those sitting with them. And after they left the room, they, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. This man is innocent. <clears throat> this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul's defense is his testimony. And Paul's testimony is his identity with Jesus Christ. You know what this tells me? It tells me that our identity with Jesus Christ is the key to our freedom. It is that Christian who is not ashamed to identify with Jesus Christ that will continue to enjoy the freedom that comes from Jesus Christ. If we shy away from Christ, we will be putting ourselves in bondage, the bondage that the world wants us to be in. The more you identify with Jesus, the more free you become. And if you want to experience what it means to be free in Christ, identify yourself with Christ wherever you are. I remember going to the hospital one day and they were filling my forms. And then this girl asked me, and what is your religion? And I looked at her, and she's looking at me, and I said, I'm a follower of Jesus. And she looked, oh, so you are a Christian? I said, no, I am a follower of Jesus. Is that a new one? She, <laughs> I said, no, it's not a new one. It's been there. I am a follower of Jesus. I don't know what she wrote because she was filling in the computer. I don't know whether she wrote a follower of Jesus. She rolled her eyes. I'm assuming she wrote something there. But my intention was to get her attention. Are you ashamed to identify with Jesus Christ? 
You know, because of the eyes of the world, it is very easy to want to please the world. I remember when we were in high school, and uh, it was a boarding school, and during visiting time, parents would come with very big, expensive cars. It was a big school, and most of the children came from wealthy families. And some of us came from very poor families. And you would see families seated under a tree, enjoying a nice meal, and, and there would be days that my mom would not come because she didn't have the fare to come. And I would just be roaming around waiting for the leftovers from my friends. And then there'll be days that my mom would come and I would see her walking, carrying a plastic bag, coming to visit me while other parents are coming, driving big cars. And you know what, as a young man, as a teenager, I would feel ashamed of my mom. Like I would feel like hiding myself. I would feel so insignificant. And I would feel even more ashamed when my friends begin to share their stories of what their parents brought them, and then they ask me, and what did you get today? And I feel like Christians sometimes find themselves in a place where they are lonely, where everyone seems to be enjoying this kind of life, and you are the only one who is odd one out, and you feel ashamed, you are tempted to avoid identifying with Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, sometimes the majority means, sometimes the majority means that everyone else is wrong. When you choose to stand with Jesus Christ, you may seem insignificant in the eyes of the world, but as long as you are standing with Jesus Christ, anywhere you are, you are the majority. Sometimes the crowd means that all the fools are on the same side. Never shy away from Jesus Christ. And if that Jesus is not your Savior, this is the time to start identifying with him. You have that chance. You can call on Jesus right now and ask him, to forgive you because he has made it possible for you to be forgiven. All you need to say is, Jesus Christ, I am sorry I have lived my life without you. Please forgive me and save me.
And if you do that from your heart, he promises to come to your life and you will begin a new life in Jesus Christ. And you will start seeing things differently. And as you grow in that relationship, you will realize that you are more free now than you have ever been in your life because Jesus sets us free. And our identity with him is the key to our freedom. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, for your people that are here this morning. I thank you for what you are doing in this church, the small steps that you are taking us, making us more like you, strengthening us, giving us the courage and making our hope a reality so that, Lord, we can shine as stars in this community as we continue to proclaim your word and point people to you. And I thank you even for the visitors that have joined us this morning. It is our prayer and our hope that you will minister to them and that you will use us to minister to them and that you will be glorified as you grow this family that loves you, this family that is here to proclaim you, this family that is not ashamed to identify with you. And may we be glorified, Lord, even in our needs and the challenges that we face. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.